Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. face of Waco, Texas, where I'm from, Julie Hayes. You are the anchor of the news channel in Waco, Texas. You are everywhere doing everything. You have all the stories. And Waco has been blowing up lately since Magnolia and uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. There's so much happening here. I feel like it's like one of the number one tourist attractions. Plus, there's just so much going on in Waco. We have the university, Baylor University, and you cover everything. You are everywhere at all times, as well as being a wife and a mother to three. It's like, how do you do everything that you do? You must have some like battery that you plug in because it is absolutely amazing to see. All and not well. <laughs> not well. I don't do it all well. I do a lot of things, but they're, um, you know, I guess it'd be questionable at best that I do them all very well. But um, yeah, it has been such a fun time to live in Waco because when I first started uh, in the news business, which was 18, 19 years ago at the very same station I am now, which is the CBS affiliate KWTX TV in Waco, um, most people when I would be like on an airplane or when I would go home and visit friends and they'd say, where are you from or where do you live? And I'd say Waco. And of course, the only thing people thought about was the Branch Davidian raid. And you probably know growing up in Waco that that seems to be at least, you know, 10, 15 years ago back, that's all anyone associated Waco with outside of Texas. Well, now when I get on an airplane or I go anywhere outside of Waco, people will say, where are you from, Waco? And the first thing they ask about is Fixer Upper. <laughs> so that's been a nice change to sit next to someone and talk two totally different things about a town that, you know, I've really grown to love. Well, I feel that same way growing up in Waco and everyone who lives in Waco knows this, that 
David Koresh and the Branch Davidians weren't even in Waco, Texas. They were outside of Waco in this town called Elk, but then we got pinned with it. And then I watched the Waco series on Netflix or whatever it was on, Amazon or Netflix or whatever. And man, I was like, it gives you a different perspective into David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And it was cool to see it actually documented in a TV series because I've only just heard about it from the news and lived through it with all like the Oh my God, you're from Waco. Gosh, that's like poor you kind of thing. But I mean, I am so thankful that now we have Chip and Joanna Gaines and everyone's like, oh my God, have you been to Magnolia? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Carolina, and one of the interesting things about the the entire Davidian saga is that our, my, the station where I work was so heavily involved in what happened there. Um, if you watch the series really closely, they have all these old school news vans, you know, like every time you should go to the scene, now people carry little backpacks or we have cell phones, but we used to have, you know, big news units that you'd raise the mast up and send your live shot back. And if you watch the series really closely, all of the vans are marked KWTX because we were actually the only station that was on site when the Davidian raid happened. And so I actually still work with and know people who were there that day when all of it went down. So yeah, it was, it's been interesting to be, in a town like Waco and in the middle of so much history from everything from the Branch Davidians from way back when till I was reporting and anchoring when George W. Bush was in office um, as president of the United States and hanging out, you know, 15 miles down the road in Crawford, Texas. So I had an opportunity to uh, interview him actually on multiple occasions. And, and I would say that most people that are in a market size for TV, Waco is considered a medium sized market. You don't get the opportunity to cover the huge national news stories that we do living also with the world's largest army installation right up the road or down the road, I guess, in Colleen, Texas. And you got a president living, you know, having his ranch there. And then you've got Chip and Joanna, which, of course, people all around the world ask about. And um, for those of us that are live in Waco and are from Waco, we've we've seen that from its very beginning stages until what it's become this worldwide brand. And uh, at the time that Chip and Joanna shot that pilot program, my husband and I were living in a house in the same neighborhood, which is called Castle Heights. You're familiar with it. We weren't, Sam and I weren't technically in Castle Heights, a little bit more upscale, but we had an older house just, it was called 39th Street, right on the edge of Castle Heights. And so I can remember seeing camera crews walking around behind Joanna and thinking like, what are they doing? Like, what's going on over there? What are they doing? And of course, that was the pilot episode that started everything. It's so crazy. So, okay, I want to talk to you about so much stuff. One, I've interviewed several news anchors, and I always find it so fascinating because to become a news anchor, it is such a long process, and it's hard, and it's you have to work so I feel like the to get to the news anchor position, it's such a long road to get there. And I would love to hear your story of how you got into news anchoring, how you ended up in Waco, and and then like question you brought up, what is it like to sit face to face with the president of the United States, George Bush, and interview him? Are you nervous? Like what kind of questions are you asking him? How do you calm yourself down for interviews like that and be like, I'm literally interviewing one, like the most powerful man in the world right now and how knowing that you are holding his attention for that interview for that time it is you and him like what goes through your brain okay I have a couple of really good George W. Bush stories and, and let me tell you those after I tell you a little bit about sort of how I got to that moment 
So I went to Abilene Christian University. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I'm reiterating to anyone that's listening, if you're entering college and you still are really unsure about, I feel like that's part of the growth process. A lot of people don't know what they want to do. I came from a really small town, Paris, Texas, um, in Northeast Texas, about an hour and a half Northeast of Dallas, pretty isolated town. Um, my parents had gone to a junior college, but not to a four-year university. So they really didn't. They just kind of said, spread your wings and fly and go do whatever it is that you want to do. And so I ended up at ACU simply because some of my closest friends from church were going out, out to school there. And my, I didn't, you know, again, I didn't grow up loving one particular university. So when I went there, um, I had uh, already a year's worth of credit from just dual credit classes. So I technically was a sophomore. So I was actually only at ACU for three years. I wasn't for sure what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I'd like to coach because I always played a lot of sports growing up. I thought that'd be fun. Um, and then I decided to be a speech language pathologist. And going into that last year of school, I had to take an elective course and, and my, my load was heavy. So I said, like, what's the easiest class you can think of? And they said, oh, um, broadcast news. I think you just like watch the newscast and like critique. This, I swear to you, someone told me, I think you just like critique their clothing. And I thought that seems like not what you should do in broadcast news, but I'll take it. So I took the class and my teacher ended up being a reporter at the local affiliate, the CBS affiliate in Abilene. And she said, Hey, you know, I really think you might have a knack for this profession. Why don't you start coming to work with me and just see if you like it? I mean, I didn't grow up like worshiping the watching news, you know, news anchors or anything like that. So I thought, well, I guess I'll give it a shot. Like first day I'm in the building, I'm hooked. I mean, if you've ever been in a newsroom, it's kind of what you see on TV where phones are ringing and people are, there's chaos and some people are yelling and some people are answering phones and, you know, at the time fax machines, now it's emails. It's just a, a, a crazy environment, particularly leading up to the newscast. And I loved that rush. And I love that every day was something so different. One day you're covering a Baylor football game and the next day you're in court and the next day you're a city council meeting and the next day you're talking to, you know, some mom about something amazing that happened to her child. And so I immediately got hooked and thought, this is what I want to do. So at that point, I'm a little late in the game, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I've got to get an internship so that I can figure out what in the world I'm doing. I ended up getting a part-time job at that CBS affiliate, and I told them I'll do anything. I don't care. I'll pour coffee. I'll, I'll do anything. So they gave me a job as an associate producer. It was a part-time position, and I basically did pour coffee. <laughs> I ran teleprompter a little bit. By ran it, I mean I messed it up. In fact, the first anchor that I remember working for ended up being Miss Rodeo America, and she's married to a very famous uh, roper named Strand Smith. Her name is Jennifer Smith. She's beautiful. She was like the beautiful primetime evening anchor. And the first day on the job, I ran her prompter. And like, you know, when you turn the buttons, like the words just roll. And I was watching them roll by like, please stop. And they wouldn't stop. But she showed me so much grace. Uh, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm not upset with you. Even though she looked a fool for what I had done. I, rem I will never forget how she treated me on that first day that I messed up. And I've tried to show that grace to everybody along the way that has come that has run my teleprompter or, or run the camera or produce the show or run the audio. Because I remember being that 20 year old in the booth trying to figure it out and you can't figure it out until you do it. You can't do it until you just, you know, put aside everything and just give it your best. So I worked there for a while. I tried to get an internship and I'm thinking I'm shooting for WFAA in Dallas because at the time that was the station I had grown up watching and I knew all of their news anchors. 
I mean, Caroline, I cannot get an interview there to save my life. They're like, our internship is full with all of these students from SMU and TCU, and they have all this experience that you don't have. And I just kept on hounding them and calling and saying, I will do anything. So finally they said, well, if you want to come up, you're not a technical intern in the news department, but you can file tapes overnight and like transcribe, you know, five hour interviews. And I said, okay, I'll take it. I think they were like, really? And it's not paid. Oh, and by the way, you don't get paid. So I had to move in with my aunt. I feel like so many young people need to know this. Like they look at you and you have what seems to be a very glamorous job. It's a very important job. It's the, it's covering all the stuff in a, in a great town and city. And it's like, but there are so many steps and so many crappy jobs that you have to do before you land the job. And I feel like that is a key part to anyone who wants to be anything. It's like figure out kind of what you want to do and then just do whatever you can to get in the door and start proving that you are a hustler and that you are a badass and that you want this and work your way up. I totally agree. I give the same advice to people. They always ask me like, you know, what should I major in? Or, and I say, you know, kind of major in, you can major in broadcast news, you can major in political science, you can do, but you need to get a job. You need to get in a newsroom and figure out how to write news scripts and uh, how to write web scripts and all the different things. You know, nowadays you got to know how to shoot your own video and you got to know how to edit. You know, those are all things that came along, <laughs> came along after, you know, when I was a photographer just for this job and now we do video journalists, which do, uh, you know, they're called one man bands. And back in the day it was, Oh, they're one man band. Well, now everyone does that. Everyone's got their own camera. I mean, you can shoot off your cell phone these days. I, I went and covered the, uh, women's national championship uh, in Tampa, Florida. Actually, it was the last one that they really had because it wasn't one last year. So, and the Lady Bears, coached by Kim Mulkey, had won their third national title. And all I had was my cell phone. And my footage looked amazing. <laughs> I mean, it looked exactly like those big old cameras we used to lug around, you know, 20 years ago. So that was, uh, that was really neat. It, it's been neat to see how the technology has changed and made it easier to be able to cover more things and more efficiently. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. So I, I hustled through that internship. That internship ends up turning into uh, the morning meteorologist realizing like, who's this girl that's like doing these crappy jobs at, at two o'clock in the morning? My shift started at like 2.30 and I came in and I, the first couple of days I came dressed in a, in a full suit. Now, I don't know if people aren't wearing a whole lot of suits, but this was 2000, 2000, so 2000, 2001. And I got noticed, you know, like who, who is this hustler over here? Showing so then the, the morning meteorologist, yeah, the morning meteorologist said my wife worked at the station in Waco. Uh, it's not a starter market. Now again, TV news has changed a lot, but back in the day you had to have, you know, two, three years, four experience to get in a market like Waco. Things have changed in the, in the TV markets the way that they work now. But anyway, so she told me about this place in Waco and I had the same problem, Caroline. Like I kept trying to get an interview. I sent my resume, it mailed it a million times. I annoyed the news director to death where he finally, I remember specifically him saying, well, Miss Shelton, that was my maiden name. We don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you when we'll have an opening, but this is not a starter market. So you're going to love what I did, Caroline. I, I decided I'm going to go to Waco. I've never been to Waco. That's three, you know, three hours from Abilene. And I'm just going to knock on the door. I'm just going to walk in and I'm going to meet them myself. This was before email really was, I mean, that sounds like it was so ancient, but you know, this wasn't when people were, I can't even remember if we, they had email addresses. That's terrible to say, but 
I mean, I feel like I was just making phone calls at the time. So I show up at the front desk, the news director comes in and says, you don't have an appointment. And I said, I know I don't. I'm Julie. I'm the one that's been calling. And he's, and he's so annoyed. Virgil Teeter, if you're out there listening, he's a kind of legendary in the news business. He's a little annoyed with me, but he's like, oh, I guess I can give you a quick tour if you come on back since you came all the way from Abilene. So he gives me a tour and I asked if I could stay and shadow the producers, which I didn't want to be a producer, but I knew that would be my only way to start a market like Waco. Okay, Julie, shadow the producers off, for the day. I ended up you have so much confidence. And that's another thing that I want to tell anyone listening who's trying to get into their career of their dreams. Like you drove from Abilene, Texas to Waco, Texas to, sh- to, to show up at the front desk and say, hi, I'm Julie and I'm here to meet this head guy who runs the place. And just like with that confidence, I mean, that to me, just that that goes so far. I mean, either it's going to go great and it's going to be what happened to you or he's going to let you in and show you around or they're going to be like, you're crazy, you got to leave. But regardless, having that gumption and showing that you want something that badly and that you're willing to work and that you're driven, I feel like that just goes over and shows so much to the people that you're trying to get a job with. Carolyn, I always tell like the young reporters that come in or anybody that asks me for career advice, the worst thing people can tell you is no. That's the worst thing. If you, if you don't just go for it and maybe I think a lot of people are timid because they're afraid of, you know, looking dumb or failing. And like, I've just never really had that. That's just never really been a part of my DNA. I've always just thought, okay, I'm, you know, I might annoy them. Like, um, you know, I may not get this position or this stuff, but I'm going to try. I'm going to make them tell me no. And I'm going to make them tell me no, like a thousand times. And it has served me. So I have gotten so many exclusive interviews and just things, just like you were saying, you know, like sitting down with the president of the United States, like how in the world is, you know, is Waco, Texas getting, and I didn't just sit down with him. I got an invitation to the White House and I did one of his final interviews in office. I mean, that's like historical. And here I am in, you know, what some people say, little old Waco, Texas. Um, But it was because once I finally got my foot in the door and started working at Channel 10, and by the way, I've had every position at Channel 10 under the sun. I started as the overnight producer. And I only got that that job because after that long day of shadowing he got in a bind and calls me like two weeks later and says oh my gosh our overnight producer just quit I know you don't want to be a producer but like can you start in two days let's see so I packed up a U-Haul and say absolutely yes he didn't want the job certainly didn't want the hours but he thinks of you because he's like okay he thinks of the one person that would take an overnight shift with two days notice <laughs> but you put yourself in that yeah, so I so I took to be thought of I've done pretty much every job in the newsroom. I started at overnight producer. Eventually, I was moved to a weekend producer with a part-time reporter position. And then I, from there, I went to the uh, mornings, and I anchored the mornings and noons for noon shows for a few years. And then I did the 5, 6, and 10 p.m. primetime newscasts. And I think I actually was the youngest female anchor that they had had um, on that show. I believe I started when I was around 25, um, anchoring the main evening news at what was, I mean, KWTX had just been like this legendary station, which is one of the reasons that I I wanted to work there. So um, I did that up until um, I had three babies and we can come back and talk about all that and how life has changed with, you know, and how my work schedule has changed as a result of that. But in that time period, you were asking about um, President George W. Bush. So he did live at um, vacation every August, the entire month of August. He spent at his Crawford ranch 
which is literally 10 miles from our TV station. And so early on as a reporter, they would just send me to the Crawford Coffee Station and say, hey, sit out there all day and just see if he comes in to get a burger. That would be my assignment for the day. And this so was free cell phones. It was, if he comes to get a burger, what and you, you just sit do? there. Are you supposed to like- and if he walked in, I would have freaked out. <laughs> are you supposed to ask him for an interview? Like, what are you supposed to do if he- I would have spit my burger out. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't ever sure, but I did it. But he never came in, so I never had to worry about that. But um, during that entire time period, I was sending faxes to the White House requesting an interview. Like, hey, my name is Julie. I live in Waco. I cover Crawford. You know, he makes his home here. Uh, you know, a lot of times people are sort of disrupted by- the security detail and all, you know, it just seemed like it'd be like a nice gesture to be able to have him talk to the people of Central Texas. They, they were very supportive. They, you know, they loved him living in Crawford, but you know, it came with a small town having a president in presidential detail and world leaders visiting there all the time. So anyways, I was sending these faxes and of course the answer was always no, he's not available. No, 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 no. And I kept on trying and I was trying every avenue I could think of like people that I knew that might know him um, or people that I knew that had, had been on the campaign trail with him 10 years prior. And long story short, I finally get one back that says the president has, you know, granted your request for an interview. And I'm like jumping up and down thinking, this is awesome. When is he coming to Crawford? And then the next email says, but he, he doesn't want, it's not going to be in Crawford. He would like to invite you to the white house. And I'm like dying. Yes. I'm like, are you serious? And this was the very, I mean, the final weeks he was in office, you know, after the eight years. Oh my so God. I couldn't believe it. I mean, obviously the persistence paid off. And when I, when I went up there, I really didn't know. Oh, they said, oh, and he, the, the only thing you have to agree to is you get five minutes, three to five minutes. So I go to my news director and he's like, I don't care if it's one minute. Like you got, you've got to go. Okay. So, so my husband ended question. Like, what is the question when you get, you're going to the white house and you have three to five minutes. I mean, how do you even, how do you even get a question out in three to five minutes? Oh, Caroline, it, it gets even better. So when we sit down, first of all, I end up being up there with, there were three reporters chosen from Texas. It was like one from Dallas. I think there was one from Austin or San Antonio area. And then me, and I recognized the Dallas anchor cause I had grown up watching them. And I was watching her before we got called in one by one to do this interview. And we were like in the, the green room and the red room, all the, uh, we ended up going over to like the private area of the white house that you can't see publicly. Like I remember their dog running down the hallway, the little Scotty dog running down the hallway. And, um, I was watching this anchor whom I had grown up loving rehearsing her questions as if he was sitting in front of her with a piece of paper. I didn't bring notes or anything. So I remember my husband, Sam, who got to come along with me saying like, should you be doing that? Should you be like practicing your question? And her question was, I remember it being like really involved too. It was like the economic status of this, or, you know, it was like this long question and she's pretending he's in front of her. And here I am coming from Waco, sitting there with no notebook. <laughs> and I'm just like, Sam, I do my best when I just do my best when I'm just me, you know, if I try to memorize it, I'm going to look silly. And that's just not me that I've never been like that on television or otherwise. So Sam's like, well, whatever you think. So she goes first. And then, and then I went next and Caroline, I ask him one question about, he finds out I'm from Waco. Obviously I ask him one question about central Texas and there's a person sitting next to him with a minute sign. So it's saying like three, two, one, he didn't get through the first answer. And I'm like, I'm not, I am not interrupting the president of the United States. This is not going to happen. So I'm like, I'm now going to have to go back and tell my news director that I got to ask 
one question and it was like, you know, what, what do you think about living in Crawford? You know, something very generic like that. Well, he turns around to the person that's got the, the flashcards over his shoulder and said, she's from Waco, let her go. Kind of hand, puts his hand up to him like, and I got all the time I needed. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I went from sheer panic of watching those numbers fly down, like, oh my gosh, my interview's over and I got one question into I sat down and talked to him for, I mean, it was a long time. I got every question in I wanted. So, I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, but it was some, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a lot longer than three. It may have been more like 20 to 25. And then I also was able after that to sit down and talk one-on-one with Laura Bush as well. And Stop. she treated me. Are you serious? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome. And it, again, it was in the white house and I, I can't like, I wish I could remember the exact words that he said, but right when he walked into the, so they went ahead and mic me up in the white house and I'm sitting in this chair and they have like a cup of water next to me and he's not in there yet. They bring him in sort of at the last minute. And when they brought him in, he said something like, what's up? What's up y'all? You know, something that was very informal that really broke the ice where I'm like, okay, he's going to be cool. <laughs> like he's, he's going to be nice. He's going to be cool. And he was awesome. Like he was uh, personable. Uh, he started calling my husband, Sam. He, George W. Bush is very interested in baseball. And when he found out that my husband was a former pro baseball player and that my husband's uncle was a former pro baseball player, he wanted to talk baseball with Sam. And he started calling Sam, Sam lefty. Sam's just now talking to George Bush about baseball casually now? Yeah, just they're like, they're like buddies. So he, he calls him, he, wow. he called him lefty. And someone had said, oh, George W. Bush gives everyone nicknames. Like, that's, that's sort of what he's known for. So as we're in this interview, I mean, we talked about everything. Like I said, I got all this time. And at one point, he said, well, how about them Lady Bears? I would love to see the Lady Bears play sometime. They seem like a great program. Well, I get back to the office, and Kim Mulkey's calling my phone and said, hey, I saw your interview. And does he really want to come to a game? And I said, well, I don't know. He mentioned that he did. So we started working on that. And I contacted his people and said, hey, they'd love to invite him to a game if he was for real about what he said and he came so he shows up to a lady bears game as a result of that and uh, walks out hand in hand with coach Mulkey and when Sam passed we had to pass him to get to our seats where we were sitting he yells out hey lefty and I was like he remembered you that is so funny that he you know he put it all together and remembered you so that was the the big moment that I remember interviewing him and and he made me feel so comfortable I have one more Quick story I'll tell you about interviewing him, which is another funny story. So when McLean Stadium, which is where Baylor University plays football, it's huge. It's right on I-35. It's a big old deal. You probably remember when they built it. Um, when they did the opening of the stadium, the first game that Baylor was playing was against SMU, and I was hosting a football program at the time, a game day program, and I had to find guests for every show. I said, well, it would be great to have Laura Bush because she went to SMU, and she and George Bush are coming in to do the coin toss. And I'm going to put a request in and see if they'll give me the interview. Well, they decided to give me the interview in like a lower level just before the game started. But the rule was he will be with her, but you cannot talk to him on camera. It's this is just her. And I said, that's great. They told me several times you can only talk to George Bush, but um, you can only, they told me several times you can only talk to Laura Bush. Not, 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 not the big guy. But he does, he walks in with her. They warned me right before they walked in. He is with her. Please don't get him on camera. This is for her. I'm like, okay. So he sits literally two feet to my left as I'm conducting this stand-up interview with Laura Bush at, in the lower level of McLean Stadium. 
and it was a little strange, you know, having the president, and he was not that far removed from office at this point, um, sitting right here. And of course, there's no way I'm breaking that rule and saying anything to him. So I'm interviewing her about how exciting it is to have the McLean Stadium built, and she went to SMU, and and he just walks right into the interview and puts his arm around Laura and says, well, you don't want to talk to me? <laughs> so, well, since you're here, so that was a really weird moment for a lot of reasons. And one major one being, I didn't plan on talking. So I hadn't had an opportunity to think about what am I going to talk to the president about? Because he video bombed me and it was great. <laughs> I ended up getting you know, 10 minutes with both of them then too. And that was just a really like a cool moment. One of the, one moment that certainly as I look back over the years that I'll, I'll always remember. Okay. I kind of want to circle back around to a few points and for everyone listening, I'm at the farm, my family farm in Texas. So I have really spotty reception. So earlier, um, Julie was telling an amazing story. It cut out and now we're piecing it all back together. Y'all all understand this is called get real. Thank you for being a part of the real life process of my podcast. Um, so what I want to talk to you about is first off, what is it like to actually live your dream? Like you are having a bucket list moment. You are, you hustled your way in, you showed up at, at KWTX, or I don't know if it was KWTX, the, the, the news station in Waco. You didn't have an invitation. If anything, you had been driving the guy crazy who runs the whole place. And now you're there and he lets you in. And now two day, he has a two day notice that he needs a producer and he thinks of you because you hustled and you showed up and you, you worked your way into that opportunity. Okay, so now you build your way up and now you're interviewing George Bush. What is it like to think back on your life and to see all of the steps that you took and all of the moments that you took these risks and that you put yourself out there and that you weren't afraid of being told no, you weren't afraid of embarrassing yourself because someone says, why are, what are you doing? Like, why are you showing up here? Why are you being so like, why are you being such a hustler? I mean, I guess a hustler, really, you were never afraid of that. And then all of a sudden, because of that hard work ethic and that determination and that fearlessness that you have, you now, and talent, you now are living your dream. What is that like to have to look back and to then all of a sudden realize that you made this happen for yourself and you are now in the White House, in the all in, in the White House interviewing the President of the United States. Like, how does that feel? I always love to talk to people who actually had these bucket list moments come true in their lives where they have worked so hard to live out a dream. I mean, I think the word that comes now, and it may have been different, you know, 15 years ago, but I think I've changed a lot also since I've had my, my own children and I start talking to them about dreams. It, it makes me want to cry. I'm getting like emotional. I feel so proud. I feel so proud that this like small town girl from Paris, Texas, who didn't even know if she'd go to college or where she'd go to college and was always told, no, you know, no, no, you know, you're not good enough. Um, I don't think I even learned how to wear makeup until I was, you know, 25 years old and, um, nobody from Paris other than Vanilla Ice, <laughs> that's another story, did um, big things, you know, uh, like went off and, you know, my parents met and married in Paris and, and had their whole life there and I would love to live there. There were just wasn't anything to do with broadcast news living there, but plenty of successful people, you know, live there and come from there. But I'm just so proud that I didn't, I wasn't afraid to try. I was never really afraid afraid of not getting there. I just was afraid of not giving it 
every single ounce of energy that I had to try and make it, just to try and get as far as I could. And um, my life has taken a lot of different turns because of my family life, but I, I've had opportunity to go on to bigger markets and interviews and, you know, big, in big places. And, and I, and that became another thing in, in my life where I just made a decision that, okay, this is, I love doing what I do. Do I care? And do I want to pursue that enough to sort of sacrifice some of these other things like living in a smaller town, raising kids and with our friends around marrying someone from, you know, I married someone from Waco. And so there was another point in my life where I kind of had to decide, is this enough? You know, have I, have I really done all that I wanted to do? I mean, I did make it to the main anchor chair. I am in Waco. You know, I'm not in Dallas or New York or Los Angeles. But I think there's a part of me that thinks I had the opportunity to do that. You know, I, I sort of played around to see if that was something I was interested in doing. And then, you know, a husband came along and then I decided to start a family. And, um, and I don't, the thing I love the most, I guess, about my own personal story is I really don't have any regrets. I don't think, oh, I should have moved to New York. And because I look at my three children, and I'm like, I've got this, in my opinion, a little bit of a great balance where I'm still working and doing what I love. And I feel like I've achieved at the, the highest level that I feel like I, you know, I'm always striving to do better and more. And, but for where I am, as opposed to just chasing that dream, which some people do that. And that's great. I think that's great. It's, it's, it's better suited for them than me. It just, turned out that you know me having three young kids in a town like Waco was a great place to be and oh by the way we have all these amazing news stories and I've got this great station with the supportive staff and great bosses and great co-workers and I'm just proud I tell my kids all the time like dream big and I tell them the same thing the worst people can tell you is no I mean and I all of us have had plenty of no's I didn't make cheerleader in like the seventh grade I thought it was the biggest deal in the entire world and then I realized that I was athletic so then I went on and had this great you know athletic career which I would have never known had I someone told me that I wasn't good at doing herkies and back handsprings <laughs> Father's Day is coming a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke well you know what's not a dad joke getting $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack $50 off no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. Ugh, but the Bartesian cocktail maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Man, Julie, that is such a good point, and I really want to talk about that a little bit as a woman because it is we live in such a different time where women do have a lot more opportunities now, and we really do have the ability to chase dreams and all of that. But I, God, I'm like crying and emotional. I get to that point where I struggle too, and it's like when you have a family and you have. If, if it's something that you want, which is like a husband and, or, or wife, whatever, or kids, and if that's something that is a priority to you, it's like, where is that balance? And where is that line where it's like, you know, if you would have chased it harder, you could be Kelly Ripa, you could be Robin Roberts, you could be whatever you want to be, or I mean, I don't even know, or, or news anchors, like, I don't even know the news anchors in the big cities besides like the national TV shows, but you could have done that and I very much believe you would have achieved it if you wanted to get to that level just like you're saying but it's like where is that line and how do you navigate that because that is a struggle that so many women have to figure out is how do you have it all and how do you know when like you don't want to chase anymore because I'm at that place too it's like I moved to Nashville and I have chased for so long chased the music career chased making a name for myself, gotten involved with all different types of reality shows, like all and amazing stuff. And I'm so grateful for it. But now that I have Sunny and a, and a daughter and like that part of my life, it's like, I, I can only, ch I don't want to chase anymore on that level. Like I don't just want to chase career. I want my career to stay full and to be vibrant and to fulfill me. And I want to bring amazing things to people and I want to bless people with stories, but I don't want to sacrifice my 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 life as a mom and raising her and I feel like that's a struggle so many working women career women hit and how did you decide what your boundaries were and when you were when enough was enough of like when you had reached a certain level and you're like I like it like this I'm not going to push any farther even though I could so I was anchoring the 5 6 and 10 p.m news even after my third child so I had three kids in a little over three years I know ladies if you're out there listening it was not <laughs> It was not easy. Um, but after the third kid, so or I guess about four years, I had three kids. And so after the, the third baby, I was exhausted. I mean, you're exhausted whether you're at home working. And a lot of, I mean, truth be told, a lot of days, my only break was going to work. Like that was the only time I felt regenerated and re was getting away from the house. So stay at home moms you know, shout out. I like, I, I always say that to me that those were the toughest hours. It wasn't going to the office, but my hours were so strange. I was working two to 11. So what I would do is I would be with the babies up until, you know, two o'clock. And so when you're up all night, which since I had two back to back in 12, 13 months, 
I still had three that were up overnight. And so I was up all night long. By the time I went to work at two o'clock, I was completely exhausted. I would anchor the five and six o'clock news, come home, nurse a kid, feed the others, try and get them down. And I had this thing, I'm really hard on myself about, and I think we all are, especially, I mean, working moms, stay at home, we're all hard on ourselves. We all want to be better, do better, be a better mom. And there's just no perfect answer. So I had gotten to where I did not want my kids knowing that I was going back to work at, you know, I hope my boss isn't listening, but sometimes 9, 930, just in time to roll into the 10 o'clock newscast and have a great co-anchor that would tell me your next story is sad, your next one is happy. <laughs> I mean, that's really how much I was cutting it to deadline because I was trying to get these babies down before I went back to work. And I had forever told Sam, when our children realize that I am going back to work after they're going to bed, I'm not doing this anymore. So I w- they had start, my oldest Callie had started to ask, she'd started waking up and realizing I wasn't here. And the next day she'd ask, like, where'd you go? And at first I was always saying, oh, I was at the grocery store. That was like an easy place to say. And then I realized I'm not going to tell her I'm at the grocery store anymore. I, I, I just, I can't, I'm exhausted. On top of everything else, I'm exhausted trying to do a full-time job at a crazy hours with babies. And so I kind of one by one went in and originally I'd, I'd gone in and asked management, can I just drop the 10 PM news? Because working until 1130 at night with babies is just so hard. And they were so supportive because I'd been there for so long and they said, yes, no problem. So at that point, I just did the 5 and 6 p.m. news. Well, then that became where I wouldn't get home till 7.30. And once the kids started playing basketball and all these other things, I was afraid I was missing soccer games and I didn't want to miss those moments. So I went in and said, can I drop the 6? And they said, what, you sure, you know, yes. And then eventually I came back, I was doing noon and 5 and I was having the same problem. I was missing the middle one soccer game. And I just didn't want to miss it. I remember people saying, you know, the days, the days are long, but the years are short. And that is so true. It is so true. So I felt like it really happened at a good time because my oldest was in kindergarten. And, and um, you'll appreciate this in a couple of years, um, Caroline, but I, I remember getting sight words with it. My kids were supposed to be studying at home in their free time and just shoving them in the drawer. I'm thinking, I don't even, I'm just barely keeping people alive at this moment. I definitely don't have time to work on sight words. And I can remember finding those after I decided to cut back and try and focus a little bit more at home and thinking how bad, again, I felt that I had, and I'm not shaming anyone that has to do, I did it. I mean, I'm saying I did do that. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. Everyone's got to find their own balance, what works for them. And I think the thing you said that really struck me because that's my best advice is find what fulfills you. If you're fulfilled by spending a full workday or you have to spend, you know, a lot of moms out there don't have, a, they don't have a choice. They have to go to work. Um, find what it is that fulfills you in those other hours that you're home with your children, the way that you can spend time the best with them or the way that you can find work more, more fulfilling. Um, and then, you know, make your decisions based on not only the fulfillment, but the need, what it is you have to do to, in, in order to you know, support your family. I mean, Sam and I, frankly, we both need to be working. Um, I've got a couple of health situations. I've got great health insurance. I like working. It fulfills me to tell people stories. I also love my children. I don't want to miss those moments. And so now I'm currently just, um, I'm anchoring the newscast at noon and I record a segment every day called tell me something good at five o'clock. And that was uh, an idea that manager and I had where I just had gotten a little bit bogged down with negative news. I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> 
And he said, well, what if we just let you tell one positive story a day? And I said, I'm in. That's perfect. I, I can do that with my eyes closed every day and love it. So for me, it's about finding a good, and there isn't a, there's not a great, there's no recipe. There's no two plus two is four when you're trying to figure out these questions. It's, you know, your own family. I know exactly where you are in life and I follow you, you know, on you do such a great job on Instagram and with your podcasts and, and I know the stage you're in and it's, it's just hard. It's just hard. And I think what you have to do is make a decision and not look back. And that's how I've always felt. I don't ever look back and go, Oh, well, who all has been the main anchor since I have? And what kind of, I, what kind of job do they do? What I have chosen to do is encourage those people. I want them to be as good as they possibly can be better than I ever was uh, reach more people than I ever did. And to me, that's fulfilling to find joy and excitement in other people's successes, even though I've chosen to take, you know, my life path a little, a little bit differently. And I, that is something that right now, Sunny's basically a year and a half years old. And like, I, I'm an emotional mess already. Like I am so emotional. Everything makes me cry. Like I have, like, I feel like I have breakdowns all the time. Like I like, I'm not, I'm not like emotionally unstable, but I'm like really emotional. Like to the point where it's like, I just, everything breaks my heart. Like you're talking about, tell me something good on the news. The news, like I, sometimes the news is so hard for me to watch because I'm like, oh my God, all the things that are going on in this world, it's overwhelming. It makes me feel like bogged down. And so I, I totally, totally understand why you're like, okay, I have to put boundaries on this for myself that makes it okay for me to navigate my life. And I feel like, and you might feel like this too, and I feel like a lot of people probably feel like this. Like I feel like I have so much potential to do so many things but in order to to get to the level that it to of, of like the highest highest level that I feel like I probably could if I put every single ounce of myself into, I'm just not willing to sacrifice personally this other part of my life, which is really just being a mom. Like that is like huge to me. Like it is the most important thing, and being with Sunny and creating that lifestyle where she is the center point of my life it, for me is the most important thing. And I have so many mom friends and I know so many moms who have all different types of scenarios of work life to home life. And it, you have to, like you said, you have to figure out what works for you. But it's like, you have to decide what works for you and then just commit to it. And it's hard because sometimes you're like, well, I know I could have done this. And I, and you see other people achieving it and you're like, well, shoot, I know I could, I know I could do that as well. But when it comes down to it, I'm just not willing and I think that like mom shame and mom guilt and comparison and all of that, it is so hard. And it, social media makes it so much harder because you everyone puts out there the highlight reel. You see all these people doing all these things. And it's overwhelming. And so I love what you're saying about just like figuring out what you need and then making those boundaries and choices and not looking back and wishing others to succeed, to, to surpass you, to do more, to do whatever they have in their heart. But you have to stay committed to what feels right to you. And sometimes that's really hard. I mean, do you ever struggle with like comparison or feeling like ever like, oh, I could have done that, but I'm but then obviously you're glad you didn't. Like, do you have that yo-yo? Because that's in my head all the time. Oh, all the time. I think we all do. I think we all do. And like you said, social media has made it so much Work. harder to not feel that way because it looks like everybody's got their life tied up with a nice big red bow, all pretty. And, and it's messy. And it's, I mean, there are days that like I had a breakdown this week, just telling Sam, I feel like I, sometimes I'm just, 
we all feel like this. We're like, I have not been a good mom today. I have lost my temper. I have yelled. You know, I've lost my patience. And my family, particularly right now, we have spent so much time together over the last, and I'm sure most of you out there are feeling the same way, over the last 11 months. And that can wear very thin on your patience. We are, our kids are doing virtual learning. We oh. have opted out of pretty much all outside activity. And we're living like in our living room, pretty much, you know, so it, it's just, while it's been, I know that we will look back on this and I've talked to my kids about this a million times. One day they will be talking to their grandkids about that year that we all stayed home together. And in, in, I really think they'll look on it with fondness. They don't understand the magnitude of what's happening around them. And then you have to also just think about the ways that you are blessed. I think, you know, I've, I've started this sort of mind body program with this, uh, she's a personal trainer, but she's like a life coach. Cause I really had become so isolated over the last 11 months and no human interaction that I needed some accountability. And one of the things that she made me do was write what I was thinking. I mean, it sounds simple, but name something you're thankful for every day. And once I started doing that and saying, you know, I've got three healthy children, my husband, and I haven't lost jobs during the pandemic. You know, there's all these things that if I looked on the glass half full instead of half empty, I have so much to be thankful for. And if we could all just take a moment to try and find what is that one thing that you're thankful for? I think it makes everything else better. How, you know, going to work. I mean, it's not ideal. I'm, I'm joining you this podcast that I'm doing from my dining room table where they have set up a full studio with teleprompter and lights. And guess what? I run it all myself. Everything. The plug in that there's no one else here. And I'm shooting it back to a new studio that most people in my, are, are in my office. I'm one of the few that's still working from home. So uh, just weird times, but I think if we can all just like focus on something we're thankful for, like you said, you know, you're thankful to have those moments with Sunny. Well, if work takes you away for however many hours, I mean, you're spending an hour with me today, then focus on those three hours that you got to spend with Sunny in the afternoon out at your parents, you know, ranch land running wild. I think you just have to figure out how to, again, see life as more in the positive then we could all sit around and talk about how crappy 2020 and you know 2021 has started off or however you want to look at it it's been a tough year for everyone so just staying positive trying not to compare yourself i've had times where i've taken social media breaks i'm not that active on social media anyways and i'm not really sure why i've never really had a reason i think i've always just been kind of private even though i have a real public job i don't know but um that can make it a lot harder. I think if you're just constantly looking at what other people are posting and it looks so perfect and you feel like your life is so messy. Totally. So something I really, and we'll wrap up soon because I could talk to you forever. You're so interesting. You're so inspiring, but I mean, there's probably an hour is a good cutoff, but I want to know how do you process all the stories that you see because there are some, obviously there's great stories that you cover, but then there's like some really hard stuff that you probably cover too. How do you like keep a boundary so you don't get so affected by all of the pain and suffering that you see and like the hardships in the world and are able to maintain like a healthy boundaries to stay happy in your own life? Like how do you keep that boundary? Because sometimes like the outside world influences everything I see. I get so overwhelmed by the sadness and the suffering that it just like, makes me so like not it's not depressed but I just get so sad of like what's happening in the world and that humans can do things to each other they're so terrible and then all the suffering with children and I mean I don't know like how do you deal with the things that you see being in the news and being on the so, front of it? I think one of the 
things. And again, this is just the way that I am. I feel really big. You know, I love really hard and I can cry really hard. And I think that served me well in being a journalist because I think people know that I care. I I genuinely care about what I'm telling you about or what I'm seeing. And for me, I've just always been myself on the air. I mean, I can remember breaking down in an interview crying when uh, the Las Vegas shooting happened and um, at the concert that was happening there. And I interviewed a man who'd been married to a woman for 35 years. And he was doing his interview with me in a hotel room that he brought his wife to and didn't bring her home from. And this was, you know, 24 hours after her death. And I remember crying in that interview. And, you know, you think, oh, oh, journalists, you're told to never be part of the story, whatever. I don't really, I mean, I'm not saying you insert yourself in the stories, but feeling for people and having emotion for someone who's experiencing like such heartache to me makes you human. I mean, that it, that's why people connect with people who they, they want to know that you're like they are, that you're not just some robot up there reading a teleprompter. So that's a little bit harder for me because I do get attached to people and stories. But I've always tried to use my position to try and help people that I find in those situations. And I've been so blessed to be able to use the platform of KWTX and just the viewership that they have to be able to see those sad stories and pick out things from them that we can do to then go on and help them. There was a group that joined me. We built a firefighter who was paralyzed um, working on a billboard. We built him a a completely free home, uh, wheelchair accessible and everything just by putting the story on the air and asking for, you know, businesses to donate. And and there's countless stories like that, which to me makes it all so worth it to sort of experience that heartbreak with the people who are going through it. And then to try to use that to do something positive to help them in their, a lot of times I'm talking to people on either the best day of their lives, maybe they won the lotto, or the worst day of their lives, and they've just lost a loved one. And I think just showing empathy and respect, um, I'm never going to go knock on someone's door after, I've just learned over the years how to handle those situations delicately and make sure that I have the best of intentions when I reach out for an interview or how to go about doing that. So I, for me, I've never been able to really detach myself from, now some of the things that feel really far away, and I can read those, and those are, but when they really hit close to home, particularly after I had children. It's very difficult for me to cover a story about a death of a child or an accident involving a child without feeling it, you know, without feeling. So that's hard. But at the end of the day, I feel like if I can, if, you know, God bless me in this position to have all these eyeballs watching this story, then the least that I can do is try to use this platform to try to make somebody else's life on their darkest day better. And I know at, at least at my station, We've done a really great job. I mean, we have the largest one-day food drive in the state of Texas um, just to helping people. And so I think if you can kind of get past all the hard negative, believe me, the very first assignment I ever got, I almost quit because it was a, it was a bus wreck on I-35 involving a temple church. And I think nearly a dozen people died that day. And they sent me out because they thought it was just a practice call. It was my first day. I was getting my picture taken for the website. And I was the closest one to the door. So they said, oh, it's probably nothing. Go out and check it. And I get there and they're putting body bags over all of these people. And I called back to the newsroom and said, you got to send someone else. I I can't do this. Cannot go on the air. And so they sent the main anchor and who I ended up becoming best friends with. And I'll never forget the ride home that day. I felt so defeated. Like I'm such a, 
I can't, I'll never be a journalist. I can't do this. I'm, I'm bawling, trying to talk to these people. I, I can't do it. And so that was one of the moments where I really had to make a decision. Can I do this? And I just had to figure out how to do it. And like I said, to try to use these terrible moments to try to catapult something, something positive foundations that are started in people's names. There's all sorts of things that happen as a result of tragedy. And I just try to focus on that rather than, because otherwise it's too much. I mean, when you hear people say, we, I watch the news and the news is overwhelming. Well, imagine working in it. You know, we, we, we live it. We're, we're eating, sleeping, breathing in a newsroom. We're, we're at accident scenes. Of course, as an anchor, I don't go out as often uh, to those types of scenes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard, Caroline, just to kind of, and some days I take a break. Some days I'll join the morning meeting and say, oh, what did you guys do at 10 o'clock last night? Because I didn't watch it. <laughs> you know, there are days I've got to have, I think everybody feels like that. You got to have a break from it. That's a really good point, though. It's like an action step. So you have something, you, see, you cover something tragic. It really wrecks your heart, but you try to find a way to impact in a positive way. And that's where I feel like I'm coming to now that I've been doing this podcast for a while because I've been sharing so many stories and there's so much triumph and tragedy and suffering and all these things. And a lot of times I'm just left feeling so sad afterwards. And it, there's always redempt, redemptive stuff, but I get lost in the sadness. But it's like, okay, that's just the world we live in. We live in a world that has pain and suffering and sadness. That's just the way it is. So like, how can I be positive? How can I make this sad story and turn it into something that uplifts someone else or spreads awareness or like you, like you said, build a home for someone who needs it. Like that's just such a great piece of advice for anyone who is in hard, who sees when you see hard stuff every day and you're having to cover it and deal with it. Like how can you turn it into something positive? That's just great advice. Caroline, before you go, I have to give you three, you know, I um, admire everything that you do. And I know that you're like, you, obviously with your husband, you guys are real involved in the music scene. And I have to share very two quick things with you um, that I want you to pass along to your friends in Nashville. So I covered the ACMs in Arlington a few, well, maybe five years ago. It was their anniversary. And, and I love country music. I always wanted to do what you're doing. I never really, I, even when I first got into it, I thought, oh, if I can like, somehow move this into country music, I would love to mix TV. And, and so anyways, ACMs was like a dream. And I got to cover it. And I got labeled somehow as actual CBS evening news. So I was on the front of the line. And you know how all these work, the red carpets. They hit like the first five people and then they're out. Well, I was, I was like E! News, Good Morning America. I don't know how somehow I got, they thought I was like CBS National and that's where they put me. So I got all the celebrities. I covered all of that. And then I was uh, down in the press area and Florida Georgia Line walks by. And at the time, my daughter, Callie, who was really young, her favorite song was Cruise. And I was like, oh, she will die if she knows I saw them and didn't ask for a photo, which I hadn't done the whole, you know, while I was there. Um, I only took the ones that were like allowed, but this was like down in like where the, the people were hanging out. So I stopped them and I will never, ever forget this. Their two wives were like, we're standing with them. And I thought, you know, you never know when you approach like how other women are going to be toward particularly another woman. And they were so the wives were like, yes, you can talk to them and take a picture. And they were so nice. And I just remember the wives being so nice about it. Cause I felt so uncomfortable in that moment, but I've never forgotten that about both of their spouses. And I know that you like, you do things with them. And, and every oh, time I see them, yeah. I think I should tell Caroline that story. Well, Haley and Brittany and Brian and Tyler from Florida Georgia Line, they are the kindest, most generous, most humble people. Like, they're superstars, like some of the biggest stars in the world. And 
none of them act like it. They are just so grateful. They're so like in touch with God. They're so giving to the community, to people. I mean, they're truly inspirational on how to navigate that kind of success. And they're, they love their wives. They love, it's, they have great marriages. It's really, they're, one of, they're the, some of the most inspiring celebrity couples that I know. You wouldn't even know they're celebrities. They don't act like it at all. Not at all. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And then my other uh, country music story for you is my other bucket list, seriously, other than George Bush was always Garth Brooks. And I got an opportunity to interview him when he went on tour with Trisha Yearwood um, maybe two or three years ago. And I will never forget the moment that I met him. He said, who are you with? And I immediately said, oh, KWTX, the CBS and Waco. And he goes, no, behind you. And I turned around and he's talking about the videographer with me, which you've been on a million interviews. Generally, people at that level, they don't really care who anybody is. They don't care to know your name or not the audio guy or whatever. And I'm, I will never forget that because here's a celebrity as big as Garth Brooks caring about who's running audio on an interview that I'm doing, taking the time to step behind the camera and take a photo with him. And anyways, after that, I was like, you know, I've always been a huge Garth Brooks fan and that just took it to a new level. Did you watch his documentary? I did. Oh. Of course I did. Yes, I did. I have all, I've got the, Yeah. I'm like, it, it was amazing. He truly is the guy that he portrays himself to be. Like, he is so kind. He's so big and so out there, but he, like, quit. He was at the top of his game and quit to raise his kids. I'm like, Garth Brooks, another inspiration. Man who has done it all and who has his priorities straight and who cares about people. I think that just goes to show that, like, truly, and talking about, like, Florida Georgia Line, same kind of thing. I think that when you have that kind of heart that you really care about people and like your heart and empathetic heart, and yes, you may have status or fame or whatever, but if you truly, that human connection, I think that is what really elevates people to the highest level. I think that like just seeing that we're all connected and using your platform for good and spreading love and light and making people feel valuable, that just go, it's just what we're all looking for, really. I totally agree. And it's always so cool when someone that you always build up and because believe me, there have been times in my career where I've built someone up over my childhood to be this great person. And then I interviewed them and I'm like, they were rude. <laughs> they were not that cool or nice. Um, but then there's, you know, there's other times just, I were, Susie Bogus and I were sharing a, um, a dressing room getting ready for a show one time. And I loved her like in the nineties, she had the greatest songs. She was so sweet. I mean, she was just in the makeup room, super sweet. And so I, I, I think of the people over time that have lived up to like, oh, I loved your music and you're such a nice person. I always, and there's other times, you know, and you probably felt it too in podcasts where you're like, they weren't that cool. <laughs> they were really not that nice in real life. What I've learned from interviewing all these people in my podcast, and I feel just like you, I've gotten to interview some of the most amazing people and people that I have like loved since childhood and truly... I feel like the people that I have really admired the most and interviewed, they are kind, good people. And I'm not saying they don't have bad days and they're not like they have their own stuff that they have to deal with. But I just think being a good person is really the ticket to all things in life and like caring because when you, especially now where everything is so exposed, like nobody wants to deal with an asshole. No one thinks being an asshole is cool. And it's just when you're a good person, I feel like you just draw so much more good energy into your life. And I don't know. I feel very inspired by the people I've gotten to interview and learn that, yes, you can be the top of your game, but you don't have to turn into a giant dick. <laughs> and that's just the way to be. You did such a good job. 
You really have been such, and I always tell people all the time, I've always thought you're like one of, if not the most beautiful person that ever came from Waco. And your family is so sweet. I don't know how often you get a chance to talk to them um, on the podcast, but I actually have seen your dad twice this week because he is um, a dentist. He does a lot of specialty things in Waco and, and I'm about to turn 40 in a couple of months. And so I just, there's things that I've always wanted to do and I've never felt like I had time to take care of myself because I've always had these three young babies in this career and all this stuff. And finally my life is starting to let me breathe a little bit. I've got the kids are in school. They're not babies anymore. They're young children. And I've got a little bit of time after a new newscast. And so my husband said like, what are the things that you've always wanted? I'm like, well, you know, I never wore a permanent retainer. So my bottom teeth have moved a little bit. I'd like to fix. He's like, you should go see you know, Dr. Cover. We'll just, so anyways, I ended up at Dr. Cutbirth's office and here I am. He's having like a counseling session with me while I'm like, Dr. Cutbirth, I'm turning 40. <laughs> and he's so sweet. I, I know exactly where your personality type comes from because your parents are embracing and loving and caring and patient and they're so sweet that your dad gave me the most awesome electric toothbrush too, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, my parents are the, are the best. And my dad, I feel like dad is probably where I got this interview. And well, my mom's a philosopher, so she's super deep and soulful and spiritual. And my dad loves like his favorite part of having a new patient is that consultation. And he wants to sit down and he wants to find out like, why do you want your teeth fixed? Like what in your life, what in your soul, what in your makeup, is making you want that. It's not just like, okay, let me get you new teeth and here's how much it's costing. Like he really wants to know like what's the driving force, who you are, and he all he's always about the conversation. So I definitely feel like I probably got that from both my parents because we have had just all my whole life, all we did was just have conversations about everything all the time. And like when you're young, you're like, please don't make me have this long conversation about everything I'm feeling, <laughs> feeling all this stuff. But now I'm like, okay, well I've turned it into my whole career, so actually it paid off. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, they're super sweet. And they're so proud of you, and they should be. You know, you look around their office, and they've got just pictures of beautiful family, you know, everywhere. And um, I don't know, you know, of course, all of us are always hopeful that all these great people will come back to Waco. It's a great place to live. You know, Chip and Joanna live here. It is. And Michael and I, we're here right now, and we're going to start trying to spend all the summers here because I'm like, I just want to be here. I want to be close to family. I, now that I'm getting close to 42, and I'm like, what really matters? Like I want to be near my family. Everyone's still able to be active and we're, we enjoy each other's company. And it's like, these are really precious years and I, I just don't want to miss out on them. Like I don't want to spend them just chasing something. I want to be here with the people I love. So I'm going to see you more, Julie. I'm going to be hitting you up all the time. I was trying to hang out with you already this one, this, this round, but when we come back this summer, I'm going to holler at you again. Okay, I definitely want to. I'm super excited for all of your success and I share in, in your joy and with your baby and with your husband and, and Waco is very proud of you. We've, we've always been proud of you. You've done some amazing things and you continue to just surprise us with all these, well, not surprise, we're not surprised you're doing it, but just, um, we're just, we're just really um, excited for all the success that you've had and, and, and hopefully one day, you know, we'll, you'll be a Waco resident again. I mean, and if so, I'll put you on the news. I mean, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. I always wrap up with one question, which is leave your light. And what do you want people to know? It's just a very open-ended question. Like, what do you want people to know? I guess just from my own personal um, life experience, it's just to, to never give up, to never think that you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're you know, not from this family or that. And it's the same thing that I would I'd tell my own children also, which is just to be kind. 
Um, I've given that advice to every reporter that I've ever worked with is just being nice in just being nice to people, just caring about people. I know you don't do it because you want anything in return, but your life will be so much better. You will have so much more success. More people will say yes to an interview and more people will invite you to this exclusive event to cover, let you be on the red carpet at the ACMs. I mean, all those things and these wonderful opportunities, being in the White House with the President of the United States came from, in my opinion, just not taking no for an answer. And I don't mean that in a persistent, you know, negative way, like being a pest, but not letting yourself get down with the no's that you will hear because eventually you'll get a yes. And all it takes is you can get 10,000 no's, but you get that one yes. And what if that one yes is come to the White House? And what if that one yes is you're going to be on the ace, you know, the carpets of the ACMs. That one yes is you get a one-on-one with Garth Brooks. I've gotten a million no's over the years, but those few yeses that I've gotten have changed my life. So just, you know, pour your heart into everything that you do. Uh, love one another, love each other, uh, be kind to everyone, and you'll be surprised at how much kindness comes back your way. Dang, that was profound, Julie. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was some good There's no stuff. teleprompter in here. That was good stuff. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was truly awesome. And I'm so grateful to know you. I think you're amazing. We've never really gotten to like hang out because I left Waco when you came to Waco, but I just look forward to building our friendship even more. So thank you. you are so inspiring and amazing. We'll do it soon. And until then, I'll hang out with your parents. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Bye, Julie. Thank you, Caroline. Bye. Bye. I appreciate it. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now.